Welcome to Electric Sheep, the knitting podcast from Hoxton Handmade. Episode 6, May Day and Morris Dancing. Hello and welcome to this week's show. Thank you very much for tuning in, everyone. Uh, I hope those of you in Britain are enjoying the bank holiday and the long weekend. I'm using that as my excuse for this week's show, being a little bit late, so sorry about that. Um, It's been a bit of a busy weekend, Um, but hopefully this will be up before uh, everybody has to head back to work tomorrow. But I'm taking the May Day bank holiday as my inspiration this week and having a look at uh, what it means to be English or British and whether that has any impact on your knitting. So I thought it was high time I shared with you some of the things I've been knitting. So I'll be looking at a couple of patterns that I'm having a go at at the moment. And as ever, there are some curious knitting sites that we found online this week that uh, I'll be sharing with you. Um, some of the eccentricities of knitting in all their glory. In other news, people have been emailing me. I'm, I'm, I'm really quite touched. It's amazing. Um, so we'll, we'll have some feedback from some lovely listeners. So I hope you have a good cup of tea to hand. Perhaps the odd chocolate biscuit. Your knitting, of course. And a spare half hour for a few electric sheep. So, as I mentioned, I've had some lovely emails and messages from people who've listened to the podcast, um, most of whom have just sort of tried it out for one episode, and who've dropped me a line to say that they've been enjoying it and that they think it's all right, So, um, which was really lovely, because obviously I sit here at home um, in my own little world and, um, you know, you put it online and you've no idea really if anybody's actually listening to it, or am I just talking to myself? Um So it's lovely to hear from you all. I would just like to say hello to a few ravelers who are kind enough to drop me a line. So thank you very much to Sally Joy, Goldfish Girl, Tandem Sandy, Jim Jam, Spinning Lil and Scooter Pie. Aren't they brilliant names? I love usernames. It's amazing what people come up with. But hello to those people and um, thanks to all of you for listening. Um, And I've had messages from people in the States. Um, There was another listener in Belgium. Um, So you really are all over the place. Um, One thing that did come up in terms of negative feedback is that I know some of you are having problems finding the podcast on iTunes. I am trying to fix that. You can download it to your iTunes on your computer if you click the button on the feed burner page through the blog. But if you go to the iTunes store and search for Electric Sheep, you get a podcast that isn't this one and sort of mine doesn't come up at all. I'm trying to fix it. At the moment, iTunes, it won't let me fill in the form. It keeps timing out and it's doing something peculiar. So I will keep trying to fix that this week. Um, But thank you very much to all of those of you who contacted me. It's very kind of you. As I said in the introduction, it's the May Day bank holiday here today. A brief explanation for overseas listeners, bank holidays are brilliant inventions. 
They are national holidays when the majority of people get the day off work and those who don't get the day off usually get extra pay instead. Contrary to popular belief, the name does not come from the fact that the banks are closed. As it happens, the name is from Sir John Lubbock, who in 1871 felt that bank workers should be entitled to participate in the local cricket games that traditionally took place around English villages at certain times of the year. Yes, really. There are times when the old stereotyped notion of England as a country of quirky eccentrics refuses to go down quietly. Anyway, these days were added to the religious holidays around Easter and Christmas, and suddenly Brits were doing quite well on their national holiday quota. Exactly a century later, in 1971, a new act was passed, specifying the bank holidays we were entitled to. The May Day holiday and New Year's Day were added, along with a proclamation whereby any holiday falling on the weekend is moved to a Monday by royal decree. God save the Queen. So there are eight English national holidays, with Scotland, Northern Ireland and Wales having a couple of their own variations. Which has got me thinking a little about being British and being a British knitter. May Day is a very English holiday. Again, for those overseas, it's worth pointing out that English and British are not the same thing. I've always lived in England, as do most of my family, so you can call me English, but I prefer British, partly because my father's family com come from Wales, so it's more accurate, and partly because when I think of my homeland, I do think of all of it. This oddly shaped little island is more than just England, although that part does tend to take a lot of the attention. Anyway, May Day. Many countries have a tradition of festivals, holidays and services that fall on the 1st of May. The British version appears to have evolved from a pagan festival to a Christian midnight mass to an agricultural celebration. Springtime fertility is the main continuing theme, and villages and rural communities in England still celebrate with traditional events, such as Maypole and Morris dancing. Ah yes, Morris dancing. The one cultural tradition that is specifically English, and look what we get stuck with. It's a dance to English folk music by a group of men in costume with bells tied to their legs who do various steps waving a white handkerchief and others where they hold wooden sticks in each hand and cross them with other members of the group. I'd like to see Michael Flatley try and make his millions with that one. To be fair, Morris dancing still has many participants. There's some sort of film coming out with Derek Jacobi called A Life With Bells On, which by the sounds of it is Spinal Tap with Morris dancing. And there are modern variations on the tradition, with dancers wearing biker leathers and wielding metal rather than wooden sticks. Not massively inspiring, is it? Although, to be honest, if I want to feel patriotic, I'm more likely to go abroad than take up Morris dancing. Some time ago I lived in New York for a year, and my nationality became the first thing anyone noticed, and the first point of information when I was introduced to people. It suddenly became my one distinguishing feature, which was a little odd. You see, the English don't really do patriotism. Well, no, that's not true. We do it, but just not the way other nationalities do it. Hard to explain, but it's an understated thing. All this flag-waving and national costume and proclaiming the love of your country, well, why do all that when you could have a cup of tea and a nice sit-down instead? In America, everyone seemed to have a flag flying on their front lawn. In London, you'd have to apply for planning permission to erect a flagpole, and even then, sadly, your community might mistake you for an avid supporter of the British National Party. 
a far-right bunch of ignorant thugs who have appropriated the Union Jack for their own narrow-minded means. Given that I live in one of the most multicultured areas of London, this might not be the best way to get on with the neighbours. Perhaps the closest we get to public displays of patriotism is either in sport, especially with certain football or rugby matches where England, Scotland and Wales all have separate teams, or events like the last night of the proms. The proms is an amazing classical music festival that takes place every summer at the Royal Albert Hall. It's broadcast on BBC television and radio as well, and along with a very distinguished classical repertoire, they incorporate other British elements as well, so they had a concert that celebrated the music of Doctor Who, and a performance of Peter and the Wolf narrated by David Attenborough. The last night has a tradition of opening up the main part of the hall for standing tickets, and having a stage in the middle of Hyde Park, and everyone waves a Union Jack while singing along to Land of Hope and Glory. I've never been to the proms, and I don't follow football, but the more my Britishness became a dominating force in the way I was perceived in New York, the more proud I became of it, and the more important it became to my identity. But really, this was about a foreign view of that identity, one created by Masterpiece Theatre and Richard Curtis films. On hearing I was British, I was amazed at the number of people who would then ask me if I knew Prince William. I know Britain is only a quarter of the size of Texas, but there are still 60 million of us crammed onto this green and pleasant land, so the odds aren't really in my favour on that score. Besides which, however posh you may think I sound, I really don't move in those sorts of circles. Of course, in trying to explain this, I would be met with disappointment and confusion, so instead I'd resort to the anecdote about how my brother once bought him a pint. I hadn't yet been bitten by the knitting bug at this point in my life, which is probably just as well, or I would have had another quaint English habit to account for. If you saw the English knitted village last week, you'll know what I mean. Of course, other people had a rather different attitude to my nationality. On a trip to Philadelphia, I was the only Brit in the group, and was therefore held personally accountable for every single one of George III's shortcomings as we admired the Liberty Bell. Occasionally, the government conducts some sort of survey asking people what they think it means to be British in an effort to reclaim some of the ground stolen by people like the BNP. Every now and again, someone floats the idea of a British holiday of some sort, as we don't have the equivalent of Bastille Day or the 4th of July. But then these are holidays based on independence and the overthrowing of a previous regime, and it's a while since Britain did any of that. We don't have an equivalent event to celebrate. Instead, other countries celebrate the day they finally kicked us out. But whilst more recent history is all about places we barged into uninvited, any schoolchild's study of British history starts with several centuries of us being the ones invaded. The Vikings, the Romans, the French, not so much independence as being conquered over and over. All of which has meant that, for pretty much as far back as you can go, Britain has been a ragbag of cultures, nationalities and traditions. So the notion of being English is perhaps a bit of a moot point. If we had to mark any particular British or English event, then personally, I'd vote for commemorating the Magna Carta. Signed by King John in 1215, it proclaimed that the king could be bound by the rule of law, and it established habeas corpus, the right to appeal against unlawful imprisonment. Not bad for the Middle Ages, given that modern constitutional law is based on this very principle. Obviously, it's a little disturbing that anti-terror legislation of recent years contradicts this important point, 
but that's an argument for another day. But May Day brings out other British traditions which might not be as official or as obvious as some, but which still play an important part in our cultural identity. We've had some fantastic weather here recently, and already we're navigating our way around the vast swathes of people drinking on the pavement outside the pubs, dodging the little tables set out all over the place, as we attempt to copy our European neighbours and their alfresco dining. It doesn't matter if it gets a little cloudy, or if it's not even that warm, we insist on being outside. Nothing wrong with that, except that we've been predicted a long hot summer, so when things do heat up, and the Europeans are taking a sensible siesta, we'll still be outside, living up to Noel Coward's theory about mad dogs and Englishmen. We'll insist on driving out to the country at the weekends, especially bank holiday weekends, even though we'll spend most of our time stuck in traffic with the other thousands of people who've decided to do exactly the same. That's the thing with Brits. The weather obsession isn't just about the rain, you know. A few months of sunshine and we all go a little bit crazy, knowing that it might not be there tomorrow so we should enjoy it now. Even if that means sitting in a car with no air conditioning for five hours. So where does the knitting fit into all of this, I hear you ask? Well, obviously knitting is divided into two schools. English knitting with the yarn in your right hand and continental with it held in your left. The debate still rages over which is better or more efficient. I was once knitting on the tube when a Danish woman moved to sit next to me and show me how to knit the continental way, telling me it was much faster. And sure enough, she could whip through a row at quite a pace. Her intention was to be helpful, but there's always a danger that it can be taken for superiority. My country does this a better way than yours. You should follow our example. Unsurprisingly, people can take exception to this way of thinking. There's rarely a one-size-fits-all way of doing anything, particularly anything creative. Those who become very insistent on certain techniques, whether it's English or Continental, Magic Loop or DPNs, slipping a stitch at the beginning of a row or not, can become a little tiresome. Because this insistence takes no account of individual circumstances. There are times when the size of the garment, or the complexity of the pattern, or the type of yarn you're using, predicate the technique that's going to be the easiest to use. Sometimes we have to adapt to learn a new method to see how other people do this. And other times we need to stick to what we know and have faith in our own knowledge and technique. I believe the current theory is that Continental makes for a speedy knit stitch, with English having the upper edge when purling. Which is appropriate, really. As with so much in life, you need a little of both. And there's no definitive right answer. From Scottish outposts to the islands of Jersey and Shetland, there are any number of knitting traditions in Britain. But what's brilliant is that it really is a global craft. Originating in the Middle East, it spread its way along the trade routes to Europe and onto the Americas, with the earliest existing examples being found in Egypt. And Ravelry demonstrates that knitters can still be found in all corners of the world. A friend from my knitting group was using a discontinued yarn for a project and ran out just before she had finished. Hunting for a raveler who might have some in their stash, she found a generous soul in Germany who not only sent her the yarn, but refused any payment for it. I've had lovely emails from people listening to this podcast in America and Belgium. Knitting is one of many wonderful things where your nationality either really doesn't matter or where it can be used to share a cultural reference from your country with someone else's. Which, particularly these days, can only be a good thing.
Well, I promised a word on things I'm knitting at the moment. Um, I haven't really been talking about specific knitting projects lately, so I thought I should have a quick word about those. Um, at the moment, I'm mostly knitting um, Bliss, which is a really lovely pattern from French Kit, who I haven't tried before. Um, but their website's really great and they've got a couple of, of brilliant patterns. And this one was brought to my attention by Woolly Stuff. Um, and if you look on her website, you can see she's finished hers and very lovely it looks too. Um, and uh, I'm doing mine in a fairly bright green. Um, it's Jameson's Heather Aaron, um, which inevitably I got on sale. It was a pound a ball. What a find. I was very happy when I came across that. So I have huge swathes of the stuff because it came in a big bag of 20. And um, I used some of it for my brother's seamless hybrid um, at Christmas um, and was amazed that I still have a huge amount of it left over. So it's um, Bliss is a short sleeved um, cabled sweater with um, a, a roll neck at the top. So of course, now that the weather is getting warm, just the thing to be knitting, but never mind. Um, so it has a really pretty, just a, um, repeating cable down the middle at the front. Um, and then it's got two smaller cable twists on either side and then twisted rib on the edging at the bottom and on the roll neck. Um, and it's just really pretty. It just makes a really nice sort of lattice across the front and then it's plain at the back. Um, so I'm really enjoying it. The only nightmare I found at the beginning, which meant I had to sort of rip out um, the first cabled repeat because I'd done it completely wrong, um, is because the main um, cable in the middle has a repeat of, I think it's about 16 rows or so. But the two smaller cables on either side have a repeat of six rows. So they don't and, and the two cabling things don't match up. You start one of them on the first row and the other on the second row, and then they start doing their repeats. So they're basically totally separate from each other. And you want to try and match them up, but if you do that, as I did the first time round, then you end up doing the, other, the smaller cables every seven rows instead of every six, which just doesn't look quite right. Um, so it was really confusing. I mean, I'm not brilliant with charts for that reason, it has to be said. I don't have a very... Um, sort of pictorial mind in that way. I'm better with words. And uh, diagrams and charts and things take me forever to navigate. So looking at the chart for the, for this particular cabled pattern, I got really quite muddled to start with. I finally cracked it now. But yes, it took quite a lot of effort for something that's really not that complicated. Um, but no, I think I'm I'm on the case now. So I've I've pretty much got to the to the armpits now. I'm about to split and, and do the sleeves, um, which is quite exciting. It starts looking like a jumper at this point, which is always fun. Um, so I'm pretty pleased with how that one's going, and it's quite complicated, and it looks quite you know it's nice to have something that does look like it took a certain amount of effort, which this one does. So that uh, makes a nice change from some of my simpler efforts. Um, and then the other thing I'm doing at the moment is Hanny, um, which was the knitty pattern I mentioned a few weeks ago, which is the sort of almost like a knitted waistcoat. But it's you, it's a bit like a scarf, really, that you're knitting and then you just tie it together to make a loop. Um, and, uh, and that's just rows and rows and rows of garter stitch with two mitered corners in the middle. Um, so that's really simple. Um, and I'm quite pleased with how it's going. It's definitely, I'm, I'm getting sort of pink and grey stripes is the main sort of colour scheme that seems to be going on with the wool I'm using. Um, and I haven't quite decided how I feel about that. Um, it's not necessarily the kind of thing I'd normally wear, but then that was half the fun of making it, was something a bit different. 
So I think I'm just going to have to knit it up and I won't really know what it's like until I'm finished. Um, so slight leap of faith with that one, but we'll see how it turns out. Um, so those are the two that I'm alternating in between. Every time I get fed up of the cables or I want to watch a bit of telly or something, I start on the garter stitch. So I'm sort of alternating between the two, which is quite nice, really. I think it's it's good to have one complicated one and one simpler one, and then you can switch depending on how much um, hard work you can face with doing that particular evening. Um, so I'm, I've put some pictures of work in progress is now up on the Hoxton Handmade blog. So you can see how far I've got if you're interested. And um, no doubt I'll keep you posted once they're finished. Curiosities on the web this week. Well, where to start? Um, we are spoilt for choice on this occasion, not necessarily in a good way. Um, somebody on Ravelry has pointed me in the direction of uh, Britain's Got Talent, which, let's face it, has a lot to answer for at the moment. Um, the whole Susan Boyle phenomenon. What is that about? Where did that come from? Is it just me? It's it's bizarre the way that took off. Um, I can't believe it. You know, if, if you have been living on Mars or anything, this is the woman who was on entered Britain's Got Talent and, um, you know, sort of looked... She's an older lady, so when I say older, she's in her 40s. And, you know, it was a slightly dowdy appearance. And she then um, sang a song from Les Miserables very well. And everybody went crazy, um, which is just all very odd. Um, and there have been millions of downloads of her performance on YouTube. And there's all this talk of her going to America and everything. And, you know, people like Oprah talking about her. It's all quite surreal. Anyway, so the weirdness with Britain's Got Talent continues um, because this week, you may have seen, um, was an act called Nitter Natter. Yeah, I know. Be afraid. Be very afraid. This consisted of three perfectly nice old ladies. You know, like they, they, they seem charming. I have nothing against them. Um, but they are essentially, you know, like a knitting group and they, they show people how to knit and they also teach people how to finger knit. Again, nothing wrong with finger knitting, but to the uninitiated, it can look a little strange. Um, and so these three ladies walked onto the stage to demonstrate their talent, sat down and did finger knitting, which, as you, you know, not really surprising, perplexed quite a lot of people. I mean, knitting, finger knitting, obviously fabulous things, but not really a kind of performance talent. It's not really something somebody is going to watch as an observer on telly, is it? I mean, it just seems a really odd idea to enter yourself for something like that, when, you know, you're, you're, you're doing a craft that is great fun if you're participating, but is less entertaining to watch. Um, sure enough, ITV have been reveling in this. They've loved it. As soon as they, they had Anton Deck on to interview the, uh, the, the Knitting Nanas before they went on stage. And, uh, of course, the theme tune accompanying this, the soundtrack to Murder, She Wrote. Yes, that happy little ditty playing away in the background with the uh, Nitter Natter group. And you just thought they're going to get slaughtered. And sure enough, they were. It, it did not go down well. Um, so I'll, I'll put in the link to the video and you can see for yourselves. But it is really quite cringing. And again, now this is what we're going to be faced with. All our hard efforts to make knitting appear like a perfectly ordinary, artistic, creative thing to be doing and again we have people who you know it just to an outside observer it just makes us all look a little bit more mental I mean this is just so not helping my cause 
in trying to be, you know, just a regular ordinary person in London who happens to knit and who happens to not be 87. And, oh, oh I could have, I was shouting at the telly. It's just, yes, ruining all my great efforts. So this is what we're going to be reduced to now. Um, as I say, that they, they seem perfectly lovely ladies, but they're just really not helping, it has to be said, doing nothing for our image. In other news, um, another site I've recently discovered um, through somebody on Twitter um, is uh, great fun. It's called WooWork. Um, WooWork.com. I'm not quite sure where the name comes from. Um, but this is a guy in Canada who um, apparently loves creating visual art, including illustration and filmmaking. And he began uh, crocheting last year. Um, and he creates these, he just has a lot of fun with it. It's really quite sweet. So his latest entry is um, he's done a crocheted ray gun. But instead of just doing a crochet ray gun and then posting a picture of it, he creates this whole sort of storyline to it. So you have this Mission Impossible moment of this mysterious briefcase arrives on his doorstep and uh, to accompany him on an intergalactic rescue mission. And uh, so you have this amazing bright pink and grey um, ray, ray gun that's been knitted, obviously. Um, and there's a helpful diagram showing you all the different elements that work. And um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. And then there's all these various pictures and things. Um, he's got his sister modelling it, demonstrating how it works. Um, and then if you scroll down, there's another great one where he did um, crochet dynamite with a little timer. So you've got this little crocheted bomb all set up and um, and then he becomes a demolitions expert so he's dressed up he appears to be posing in a quarry of some sort he's gone to a lot of effort to film all of this it's amazing so you have him there in the quarry with his hard hat on and his detonation button and everything else and the uh, crocheted dynamite um, and then we we have the big explosion and it all goes off and oh dear he hasn't put the dynamite back down again he's still holding it um, we have a big bang and then there's nothing left but a hard hat um, some safety gloves and a crocheted nose just sort of sitting to one side and sadly he has appeared appears to have sort of blown himself to bits um, so something of a safety lesson in a way and what not to do with crocheted dynamite um, it's really quite bizarre and it's extraordinary the lengths he's gone to to, to photograph all of this and to set it all up it's amazing um, but it's just it's actually really nice just to see somebody who's really having fun with it you know it's like a game and making these little videos and doing this little photo shoot to accompany each piece. Um, I just think it's a great fun idea and he's just, you know, not taking it too seriously. And uh, so there you go. So if you fancy crocheting something a bit different, take a look at WooWork for some inspiration. And finally this week, one more thing to show you, um, is a wonderful site that I hadn't seen before um, that's called Craftastrophe. Um, isn't that a great name? Um, and as the name suggests, this is a site um, that's full of, of things, you know, sort of crafting disasters and things that they feel you just really shouldn't do. Um, and the one that got my attention is this incredible thing where, again, the time people take with these things. Somebody has taken um, sort of knitting graffiti and knitting tagging to a whole new level. I mean, it's one thing when people put a bit of knitting around a lamppost or a tree or something. In this case, somebody has entirely covered a whole tree with knitting or possibly crochet, it's hard to tell. Um, but every, the, the whole trunk 
and all the branches are all covered in this striped, multicolored knitting. And it looks like something out of Dr. Zeus. It's really quite scary. Um, it's all these bright neon colors. And you slightly wonder about, you know, how happy is the tree in all of this? Um, I mean, as the site says, what happens when the poor tree wants to grow? Um, and I don't know, does it, does it inhibit squirrels and things from climbing the tree or birds? What, what do they make of all of this? It's really quite bright. It must be a bit of a strange uh, tactile sensation for them. You know, I don't quite know how little animals feel about having to crawl all over the knitting. Um, so very odd. But just to get up that high, you know, to climb the tree or put a ladder up there or whatever they've done in order to reach all of the parts of the tree. I mean, it's really quite a huge undertaking. Um, and just why? Why Why would you feel the need to do this particularly? I mean, I don't know, maybe they're huge fans of Doctor Zeus, um, but really quite curious. Um, but Craftastrophe in, in general is great. As their slogan says, um, because handmade isn't always pretty, which is true. It can go horribly wrong. So like those other sites of what not to knit, um, this is a, a similar sort of thing. They've also picked up on something else that I've noticed is going around a lot, and that's people knitting their own face masks to protect you from uh, swine flu, because obviously, apparently, we're all going to die. Um, and uh, so lots of patterns and things have been crop cropping up for knitted face masks. Um, and they found one which appears to be modelled on some sort of wedding. I'm not quite sure what's going on with these photos or if they're just taking the mickey. Um, but uh, yes, yeah, so they, they have a lady posing with a, um, a white veil and then a white knitted swine flu mask. Um, quite why? I'm not sure. There's a little ditty to sing along to. Um, but yeah, very, very strange. So again, there's a few things around this week that quite frankly are giving knitting a bad name. So I think it's good to be aware of them, but we won't let them get us down. That's it for this week. As ever, thank you very much for listening. And um, thank you again for all your emails and messages. Do keep them coming. You can drop me a line at hoxtonhandmade at gmail.com or I'm Hoxton on Ravelry. Um, I'm Hoxton Handmade on Twitter or you can contact me through the Electric Sheep or the Hoxton Handmade blog. So any number of options for you there. Um, if you're around on Tuesday in the East End, then I think the Hoxton Knitting Group are still planning on going to the Craft Gorilla Night at 93 feet east, which sounds like a lot of fun. So if you're in the area, do come along. Um, and uh, I hope you have a good knitting week. And thanks for listening.